0: Well, you're already in the book of Philippians, I'm uh, so thankful that uh, as, even as we've spent time together already this morning worshiping uh, our Lord and Savior, but just even as we remind ourselves the importance of our, of our theme in the book of Philippians, rejoicing in unity side by side for the sake of the gospel, we have reminded ourselves over and over again of Philippians chapter 1 verse 27 where it says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ okay Christian this week you have got to be thinking to yourself how did I do living a life that was worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ it's got to be more than today it's got to be bigger than just a moment or a second in time and feel like you you fulfilled your task it is a life pursuit it's not something you do in a day or in a minute it's something you do over a lifetime and that's going to, be, that's going to mean it's, it's going to be hard work. But let us remind ourselves, even in Philippians 2, as, as we've traveled with Paul in his journey as he's talking to uh, the Philippian church, and as he went through the even very humility of Jesus Christ, that he said things like this about Jesus. He said that God had highly exalted him, in verse number 9, and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is what gives you purpose and meaning and devotion, desiring to live a life that is worthy. It is to please him so that at the name of Jesus, all people would bow. That even during your week and moments in your life, and even at times the quietness of your own thought life that you would say, I'm going to bring these in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not just going to appear worthy on the outside, but I'm going to be worthy in the way that I think and what I love. That it bleeds over into the way that I do things. And that is the calling that we have. And over the last, uh, last Sunday we started uh, talking a little bit about these servants that Paul helps us recognize in the in the book of Philippians, and we talked about Timothy and the way in which the Spirit of God is is pouring uh, is, is really exuding all of these life gifts and principles in his life, and we saw the fruits of the Spirit of kindness, love, and faithfulness in a person like Timothy. And now he introduces us to this really incredible character, not, not as if any. Bible character is of less significance than another but each in their own right has something to say about the way that we would live a life Worthy of the gospel, and I think Paul chose two individuals That were familiar to the Philippian church that he wants us to be familiar with so that as we looked at their life We would then imitate them as they were imitating Paul as Paul was imitating Christ that is the whole trajectory People ought to be able to look at your life and say, I'm going to imitate them because who they're imitating is perhaps someone who discipled them, but they're doing it in the, in the work of Christ and in the mindset of Christ, and that person has been trained, and so on and so forth. And that is how discipleship works. Living a life worthy of the gospel is not some individualistic effort, as we are reminded, but it is a whole community effort, That it's not just enough or enjoyment enough for you to live a life worthy just yourself. Now, that's great. But when you get alongside other brothers and sisters in Christ and you see the work of the Spirit of God in their life, that ought to energize you. That means your conversations have to be more than just the superficial ideas of how is work and what's the weather and oh my goodness, we're in for a hot week and uh, you know the routine. It's got to be deeper. Where is the Spirit of God growing you? I'm not saying that's every conversation, but it ought to be interspersed in there in some of the conversation so you know how to pray, so you know how to care for each other and that you are spurring each other on to love and good works. Well, Paphroditus is kind of that character, but you know, you you recognize something, and I and I and I think we recognize this growing up. Uh, there's something powerful about the right imitating the right thing. Have you ever done this? I remember when I was little. I mean, I was massively into basketball. I mean, that was just I loved it. I mean, it was like. I would play for hours and hours until I could beat my older brother. And once I beat him, it was over. I'm never letting him beat me again. But it was right at the time period. And, and some of you only get to watch the reruns of Michael Jordan. But I lived watching Michael Jordan. Okay? I mean, watching every commercial, every Nike commercial of Be Like Mike. I mean, I just wanted to drink a Gatorade just to feel like that. I wanted to... I wanted to I remember when I was out there on the basketball court and all of a sudden, all of a sudden I show up and I have a little armband. I have a little knee brace that looks like Mike. I mean, I felt like I was him, only just miniature. But there's something powerful even the culture recognizes about imitation. Now, if that that illustration doesn't hit home to you, if you're a parent here and all of a sudden you begin to start watching your kids and they're, and they're little. Have you ever seen that when you're walking in the midst of the foyer and they come into the life of the body, and I' be seeing one of those little boys and their dad, they're dressed alike? And you're like, "Oh, that's cute." Like that's when their kid thought they were still cool, and then they got older. It's like, imitate who? Now what? You want to imitate me. You don't even know. You're old, dad. Reality is, is imitation is something powerful. Being an example is something powerful. And you want to display a life of that within the community, but it starts within your life as an individual, with your friends, with your marriage, with your family. Let me tell you this. You'll never do in the body what you're not doing personally or in your marriage or in your family. You just bring that with you here. That's all you do. Whatever you do alone, you just now bring it to the life of the body. And if that isn't strong and something vibrant that is imitating someone who's imitating Christ, then we will be weakened as a body of believers desiring to rejoice in unity and fighting side by side. Epaphras was one of those kind of guys. One of the things I love about Epaphras as, as we think about him is he's just your ordinary guy. Not much is even said about uh, Epaphroditus and yet you, you find, uh, we find together as we look in this particular book as Mike has just read for us uh, this morning, uh, it, it's, it's interesting because you have, Epaphroditus has this, uh, we're going to take a look at three particular areas of Epaphroditus. One, uh, just the fact that Epaphroditus was, this a Greek name, demonstrates a level of his, of his, his, his Greek influence. Paul says this, I thought it necessary to send to you, Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, and your minister, and minister to my need. For he has, he has a longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, Paul says, near to death. But God had mercy on him, not only on him, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow And I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now, let's take, if you're thinking about the main idea of this text, here it is, that Christians are called by God as ordinary people to display extraordinary sacrifice side by side for the sake of the gospel. Christians are called as ordinary people. That's us. Nothing extraordinary about us. Sinful people to the core, destitute for hell, and God redeems us. They're ordinary people and they're called to display extraordinary sacrifice. And they're not called to do it alone. They're called to do it side by side with a purpose of exalting the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that he is glorified. Paul takes this individual, Epaphroditus, and he commends Epaphroditus as an extraordinary servant of the church. Here you have a man that really not much else is said about Epaphroditus other than what you find here in these verses. Some people have equated because sometimes Epaphroditus, they, as we do this, we shorten people's names. Oftentimes in the Greek culture, uh, they they would call them, they would shorten it to Epaphras. Uh, but here, uh, and I and I say that to you because in Colossians there is another Epaphras. Don't confuse the two. I don't think they're the same. This Epaphroditus served the church in Philippi. This Epaphroditus was called as an ordinary servant to the church. He had a a longing to help this community of believers. And this is what I love about, this is one of the uh, the main points about Epaphras that I think all of us could, could hold on to. You're gonna look at yourself and you say, I wasn't taught by a Paul. I wasn't even taught by a Timothy. I'm just this ordinary person. I just showed up. I just, I wanna be part of a community. I don't know exactly where I am, what I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm here, I know I'm, I'm, I'm with the body, I want to grow. You think, but I'm just, I'm just your ordinary, average individual. Can I just say to you, God is in the business of using the ordinary for the extraordinary. I mean, look at his 12 disciples. What they were said about them was, here was a bunch of ordinary fishermen and a collection of people and they made this note they had been with jesus so what is it going to take to go from ordinary to extraordinary it takes the work of god in the life of the individual who's destitute for hell to be redeemed to be regenerated and and to repent of their sin and all of a sudden They become extraordinary, but it's not in and of themselves. You had no business being extraordinary for the sake of extraordinaire. Ooh, look at them. No, you're extraordinary because someone is in you working for you on your behalf so that you can imitate someone who's greater than who you are. Without that we lose direction, we lose purpose, we all of a sudden fall prey to the cultural Western mindset of identity that I have to be someone great. Just ask somebody who they are and what they do and pretty soon they start telling you, well this is where I work and this is how many degrees or please don't be about that kind of stuff. It's not about your degrees or where you went to school or whatever those things are that you believe gives a cultural accolade to your identity. Here's who you are Christian, this is all you need. You are in Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit of God, not of yourself. So that the glory of God can be seen in you. So that you would think of yourself less and help people think of him more. It is that duty of Christianity that is the life of a worthy walk of a Christian. Side by side for the sake of the gospel. Epaphras was that man. We're going to take a look at three facets of this text. We're going to first look at the the man. Paul gives us these particular uh, ideas of this worker. He gives them now one on the personal side. Here's Paul's personal perspective. And then he gives the church's perspective, the Philippians perspective. So let's start there. Here's what he first begins to say about this wonderful individual Epaphroditus. He said, "I wanted to." He says, "I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus." Now, just pause there for a minute, minute because what's happening here is Epaphroditus was sent to, to the Apostle Paul to minister to his needs, to bring a gift to him, and spend as much time as Paul needed while he was in a Roman prison. Now, understand Roman prisons were not like uh, our prisons. At times, they, they didn't go and feed you three meals a day or whatever it was that they do and give you all these places. Other people had to support you so that even though you were in prison, you had others bringing and ministering to your needs so you could survive. They were less concerned whether you die or not. You're in prison, okay? You don't have some friends who love you. You don't have people who care for you. Well, rot in prison is kind of their idea. But the Philippian church understood the needs of Paul and so they send the the individual Epaphroditus who now Paul commends because he's sending him back. Now here's here's the thing is, we can understand who who brought the letter back to the Philippian church. It's likely Epaphroditus. Because he's going to send Epaphroditus sooner than he's going to send Timothy as we found last week. But Timothy he's going to send later, and now Epaphroditus comes back, and it's almost the idea of like Epaphroditus comes in to the church service, and he brings the letter to read, and their mindset is like, what are you doing back? There's an explanation in the book of Philippians to say, here's why I'm sending him back to you. You might think he's coming back prematurely, but I want to give a justification for his ministry to me and now his further ministry to you. Now, not only that, but you could also imagine a little bit of concern because as a church group, you finally elected this individual, Epaphroditus, to go and carry the message to Paul. How did Paul hear about the division? Well, he likely heard from Epaphroditus. So you could only imagine maybe others in the congregation's temptation to think, all right, you're back. What did you say to Paul about me? like you carried a message about our church and things that are going on what did you say (laughs) Paul is is honestly protecting the integrity of Paphroditus and saying listen he's coming back and he's bearing the message that I have given to you that you correct various things and I'm gonna encourage you with other things and that is always the notion of Paul correction never comes without a, a level of grace and kindness and we see that in Timothy and I think we also see that in willingness to actually go and minister to Paul. Here's the, here's the categories that Paul now describes him in Paul's perspective. He's a fellow worker. He's not just this ordinary guy anymore. He's a guy who was in the trenches with Paul. He was a fellow worker. Notice this, he's a fellow soldier. I think Paul uses this kind of soldier imagery at various times. I mean, he's, chained, he's chained to a Roman soldier. It's not uncommon for us to think, where would he come up with that? Well, he's looking around. What other kind of view do I have? Oh, there's another Roman soldier. He is a fellow soldier, and he is fighting with me. This is not just some guy who didn't do a tour of duty and, and figured that, oh, he, he understood all of the heartache of ministry. Here was a guy who went out to serve, and he, and he even got beat up a little bit, and even got ill, and almost came to the point of death. And now he's sent back. And in some sense, I think what Paul is doing with Epaphroditus to the Philippian church is saying, you got a wounded warrior right here for the sake of the gospel. He almost died on account of what you sent him out to do for me and for you. What you couldn't all come and do, he did it for you, and he almost died as a result of his service. You talk about sacrifice. I mean, here's a guy, in a sense, who is a wounded warrior for the sake of the gospel. And he's coming back, and he doesn't want anybody in the Philippian church to say, Why did your tour of duty come and it prematurely ended? What did you get discharged early? Paul was sick of you. What was going on? No, he's saying he was faithful in every way, at every point. And now I want to send him back to you. And Paul used it to his fullest capability when he sent Epaphroditus because he sent, the Philippian, he sent the Philippian letter. He was a fellow soldier. That's who you are. Look around you for a moment. I mean, these are your brothers and sisters who you fight side by side, who you pray for. If you take your Christian duties in a responsible way, you, you ought to be praying for each other. Praying for the ministries, praying for people who are discipling, praying for your own soul, that you would be the kind of soldier who doesn't have a dishonorable discharge, but someone who looks back and people say, they just loved Jesus Christ and they served him to the fullest. That's any one of us can have that, and we all have that responsibility. Paul wanted this individual to be known, and I love how he describes this, uh, especially the initial statement, Epaphroditus, my brother. I don't know about you, but I've seen a resurgence in this idea of brotherhood. If you're out in the foyer and you meet with some of these young guys, you know what the first thing they say to me? Bro. And depending on the inflection, it can be good or bad. Like, no, no, bro. This brotherhood is not something that we just take for granted that somehow all of a sudden we're just like, oh, well, there's another one. This was something so deep-seated that he could say about Epaphroditus as an ordinary individual who was doing extraordinary sacrifice because something happened to Epaphroditus and he was evidencing his faith, his genuine faith, by his sacrificial service. I think it's so interesting, illustratively, even as you connect this with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who was willing to die and sacrifice himself even to the point of death. Well, why do you think Paul uses Epaphroditus? A man who sacrificed almost to the point of death. You think he's trying to make a connection with Philippians 2? Of course he is. He's saying, be ordinary servants that are willing to make extraordinary sacrifices in the name of the majestic son of Jesus Christ because if all you do is sacrifice so that you can find exaltation in yourself that is not humility it is pride at the very core of who you are so we have to, we have to reshape and rethink the way we live our life but the idea of being a brother or a sister in Christ or these terms that the Bible gives that Paul often starts with, that you are a saint in Jesus Christ. What he's trying to tell us is we are a beloved people. And I know in the midst of all of that, there are people in the Bible that are filled with all levels of carnality. I still try to wrap my mind around when he gets to the book of 1 Corinthians and he says, saints. Because there's nothing saintly about what's going on in that church. But I can tell you this, That their saintliness was something that was so cared about by Paul and by God and by Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God that he was willing to take people who were struggling even in carnal things and bring them back to the imitation of Jesus Christ. That's the calling of the Christian community to do together and that's what this man was like. I bet it was probably hard actually for the church as they were gathering individuals who were willing to go, and all of a sudden, Epaphroditus, not much is said about him, but this was probably such a beloved brother. It's like, ah, oh, we want to send him, but we don't want to send him, you know? Like, we love this guy, and then we're going to be without him. Don't you feel like that when people are gone all of a sudden that you dearly love, and they're gone for a period of time, and all of a sudden they come back, and there's like, oh, you're here. You know, some people are so focused on everything that's going on in their own life that they'd never even recognize if their brothers and sisters happened to step away. Shame on us if we're not in tune enough with the body of believers to realize when all of a sudden, at times, people drift to a point and no one goes to find out why. We have to be a people who are so in tune with each other. Epaphroditus was that guy. When a need arose, now, notice this. He wasn't Here's, here, this was not Epaphroditus' uh, uh, calling. Epaphroditus, we're going to send you like, like Timothy. You're going to go preach the word, set up the elders. Here's your single focus. Go minister to Paul. Do whatever he needs you to do. Work alongside him. Get him what he needs and, and care for his soul as a representation of how we would want to care for him. Wow, what a guy. Christian, I wonder, could you have been chosen? like Epaphroditus was, to be sent and be called a fellow worker, fellow soldier, brother, sister in Christ. Here's how the Philippian church viewed Epaphroditus. They go on, he says, and now he's your messenger. He's, now get this, your, this personal pronoun is not something insignificant. He belonged to the church at Philippi. There was something so important to the church that says, This is one of our guys. Of all the churches that that Paul, you minister, Paul's saying he's your messenger. He belongs to the church. He's part of your membership. He's part of the the body who is encouraging you there. He's, He's a messenger. Notice this, the word in the New Testament, apostolon. Okay, now just make sure you recognize the difference. If you're looking at the language and you're dabbling with understanding some of these things, That doesn't mean Epaphroditus was an apostle. There's a difference between a title and then the description of that word used here, which all it means in the language is a sent one. There were all kinds of uh, sent individuals in the New Testament church, and yet they didn't classify themselves as an apostle. Of course, because we understand an apostle, as, as far as Acts one and two is concerned, they wanted to bring another person on in in the absence of Judas, and they said he needed to be there from the time of John the Baptist to the time of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that was the qualification. But to be a sent one could be anyone, and you could be sent by the church, and that's what Epaphroditus was. So don't mix up the two and say, oh, apostleship is for today. No, it's not. But being sent and used by the body is. The reality is, Epaphroditus was the sent one who was used, who was both a messenger, an apostolon, and a minister to Paul's needs. And these words are so used and intertwined uh, by Paul on purpose because he uses the word minister, which is the word that we get liturgy from, okay? to heighten the religious objective of Epaphroditus to Paul. You are there to encourage him. This is part of your liturgy, or let me say it this way, part of your life's purpose in a way you can live out being worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your life and ministry, and all of ours as ordinary people, have one objective, to worship the living God god in spirit and in truth that's why he heightens and uses this word you are a sent one with a liturgical emphasis to demonstrate a life of worship not just to god but to other people in a life of sacrifice christian brothers and sisters just challenge yourself this morning who did you serve this last week What act did you do that you got no benefit from anything, nothing to yourself, but you did that only for the other's benefit? We ought to be able to think very deeply and say, how do I work this out? It's about thinking about people and thinking about their needs. The Philippian church, when Paul left their presence, didn't just go, all right, well, Paul's gone. There was a lingering impact in the life of the Apostle Paul because these people thought about him deeply and loved him sincerely and that produced a level of genuineness so that they would send one of their very own when even other people may not have done that Paul the Philippian church described him and Paul says he's your minister he's your messenger and even in the very end we're gonna find he's a man who is highly honored by the church Here's an ordinary individual who is exalted in the church, not for the sake of putting him up. I really believe that both Timothy and Epaphras, when this was coming up, I think he's just like, oh, goodness, they're talking about me. Why did you write that? Like, I didn't need that. That's the kind of men these were. They didn't care about accolades. They cared about service. But notice the sacrifice. I mean, just in reality, travel in the first century was not like... uh, uh, you know, you put it, plug it into your GPS and then you choose whether you want the distance to be car, bike, or walk. It was just walk. <laughs> that's all you had. Can you imagine putting that into your GPS? Wow, okay, 4,608 miles. You'll get there in a month. <laughs> Maybe if you're not dead. And that's going to include a lot of variables, by the way. And don't think because what's going on Because you notice in this passage that all of a sudden the Philippian church heard about Epaphroditus and his illness and that he was almost in a near-death experience. Well, how is that? Because you never traveled alone in the first century. There was probably a delegate, although Epaphroditus was the one who stayed behind. They got him all the way there. You wouldn't say, hey, we've got all this money, we've got all these things, we're going to support Paul. Like, he's loaded up. Like, I hope you're safe. (laughs) No, you've got robbers and all kinds of people and treacherous terrain and people who, uh, you know, aren't real keen on the gospel. You sent a group of people and they got them there and then likely some of these people reported back but Epaphroditus stayed even in the midst of that challenge. But here he is 4,608 miles away from home and there's something going on in in Epaphroditus' heart. Man, I miss those. I miss the body. Man, I miss them. Have you ever been away from your own home church for a significant period of time, maybe two, three weeks, and you went to another church? Like I remember growing up, because my dad was a pastor, and he'd always bring us to another church, and it was always like, this just feels weird. you got to go to a different class. Like they don't know me, I don't know them. We're just kind of there. But then you got back to your own church and you saw the people that you served alongside, and it was just like, I'm home. Paphroditus longed for that. In the midst of a difficult ministry service on behalf of the church, he was a man who was so uh, determined to serve at the behest of the church and for the glory of God that he was willing to sacrifice in extraordinary ways. Well, how could he do that? Well, because the mercy of God was shown to him. You notice this in the passage where Paul says, he says, I... Uh, he says, he came to me, he was ill, this fellow soldier and messenger, and, and he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because he, because he knew you heard that he was ill. Now, yet in the first century, by the way, just tag this in your mind, you're like, if Epaphroditus wasn't in Rome, texting someone in Philippi, not feeling good today, Instagram, ugh, he's not doing it. In order for someone to hear that news, it took a lengthy period of time for that news to travel and all of a sudden for someone to feel comforted. So their hope and trust and faith that God would sovereignly intervene was always challenged. Epaphroditus knew that they knew he was ill, but they didn't know how he currently was. And only likely until he got back and showed up, they said, You're okay. You're here. They probably grabbed him, hugged him, pinched him, whatever. You're alive. We thought we might have lost you. That is the way the body ought to feel about each other. But I don't want to lose anybody. Everybody matters. Every image bearer of Jesus Christ, every ordinary person, which includes all of us, challenging and helping each other. For extraordinary sacrifice where we don't do it alone because he immediately says this statement he says indeed he was ill near to death but God had mercy on him and not only on him but all but me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow I mean here Paul says about the mercy of God I mean do we not say this same thing I have a list of different individuals in the body of believers right here that is before me on a regular basis who are faced with levels of severe illness that we call out on behalf of them and to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, can you please do what we cannot do? That was the church in Philippi on behalf of Epaphroditus. Christians, I think that that calls us to ask ourselves, I wonder how well we do at praying and our concern for people who find themselves with all kinds of horrific illnesses and loss. It ought, to challenge and we ought to be, it ought to challenge our soul, it ought to burden our lives to some degree where we take time as part of our devotions and say, you know what, I, I know at least one who could use prayer right now, who's ill and is almost near death. Don't think we don't have those here. We have people who are finding themselves in those circumstances. And guess what? Only but the mercy of God can help sustain them. And sustaining them doesn't mean essentially that they have to be healed in order to find blessing. So often in the midst of illness, we find that sacrifice, although it's challenging, they learn to suffer well so that they're pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ because suffering is part of it. Even physical suffering. Challenges your mind to be shaped to the mind of Christ. There is no one, no one, who could understand physical pain and physical suffering and exemplify a Christian character and attitude other than Jesus Christ in such an honorable way to say, God, your will, not mine. The mercy of God is, it, is, it, is in play here, and Paul recognizes it and wants the church to recognize it. And the mercy of God was bestowed upon Epaphroditus. I don't think if you looked at him and said, hey, do you want to die? I don't think he'd say, yes, please. He'd say, please, God, show mercy on me. And sometimes that illness and near-death experience of an illness causes an individual, no doubt I imagine even Epaphroditus, to say, what am I living for? If I'm going to use my life in any measure of worth and value, where will it need to be used, even if I only get a small portion of it? You remember these old stories like the king Hezekiah, who all of a sudden, who was at the end of his life, and he prayed that his life would be extended, and God granted that to him. And yet, what did he do with it? Christian, while you have breath in your lungs... Are you using it to serve the King of Kings and to glorify his name? Young person, don't think that the way that you respond, the example of Christlikeness that you have to your siblings, to the youth group, to a, to a school classmate, that it's somehow insignificant. Every single one of us, as ordinary people, take the life of faith as brothers and sisters in Christ and are supposed to exemplify that to the world. We do it by, because God's so merciful. He's merciful to care for us when we're ill, but he's merciful to save us when we could not be saved in any other way. And Paul says it was the mercy of God, and he always attributes it. Notice this. He always is attributing what is going on to the sovereignty or providence of God or the mercy of God or the grace of God. You think that's a pattern for us? We shouldn't be saying, shaking our fist in God's face, saying, How dare you give me this illness? How dare you do this to this person that I love? We should be saying, God, help us. Help us go through whatever you desire us to go through to make us into the image of your son. Whatever it might take, but at the very end, I wanna look like him. I know that's not gonna be easy and I need the strength of the Spirit of God And I'm going to need the mercy of God that I depend on. Paul commends it, even in, in in Romans, when he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you live a life of sacrifice. That's Epaphroditus. The mercy of God, it's things that we don't deserve. Paul and Epaphroditus recognized, well, if I got what I deserve, okay, I could just get death, and that would be the end of it. I think Paphroditus' life and Paul's understanding of the gospel knew where they would go, but they knew they wanted to be used as long as they possibly could. Mercy is getting something you don't deserve. Epaphroditus got that. Paul understood that. He says it was the mercy of God that was given to both him and to me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Now, let's try to understand that for a second. You think Paul had a few things to think about? It was one of weighing on his mind a little bit. I mean, all throughout the New Testament he's like, but it's the churches. I'm so concerned about them. And then I've got this individual and then I I kinda maybe see this one drifting and I gotta talk to them. Paul had a few things on his mind as the great apostle who was planting churches. And yet, he took time for people like Timothy he took time for people like Epaphroditus and Luke and all of his other travel companions. And he, and he thought to himself, you know what, this is so important. The mercies of God is at work in their life. And he had so much going on, he said, here's the mercy of God to me. He didn't let anything happen to Epaphroditus. Because it would have just heaped the sorrow, the challenges and concern that I have. It would just give me another one. Like, and God was kind enough. To not give that to him. Do you realize God is doing that for you all the time? You feel like some points in your life, you're like, if I get one more thing, I am going to snap. I can't, I can't carry anymore. I, the load is too great. We say that. But it's the mercy of God that sustains us. It's his help that we, that we call out for so that all of a sudden when God knows we just couldn't handle another thing, Paul says, my God was so merciful to me. And guess who else he was merciful to? The Philippian believers. I mean, here they're experiencing division and disruption in the church, and all of a sudden they would have this weight of having to lose Epaphroditus. And he longed to be with them, and they would love to have him there. And he said, God, who is great in his mercy, displayed that in the way that he took care of that. And I just challenge you as a Christian, he didn't have to sustain Epaphroditus' life, and he doesn't have to sustain yours. Every one of our days are numbered, by the way. We don't know between one week to another whose time period or whose time uh, alarm will go off and God will call them to be with him. But we, what we can do is be responsible with the time we have. And I would just ask you, even as you sit there before the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Where am I not being responsible before the Lord Jesus Christ to live, to sacrifice, to love, to show kindness and faithfulness? And if he gives me another week, here's what I want my week to look like this week. Here's who I know it needs to impact. And do it. Please don't live this life. It often is in in areas where you're younger, because I think the older you get closer to that point where you know, like, I'm going to die, and soon, (laughs) But when you're younger, it's like, I got time. Young person, you don't know that. You can't bank on that because you think, I'll just have tomorrow to make that decision to be a brother or sister, to to repent and trust in Christ. You don't know that. We don't know if all of a sudden someone who has heard the gospel, who has rejected it, will find themselves standing before Jesus Christ and hearing those horrible words, depart from me for I never knew you. Oh, don't let that be you if you are here this morning. It doesn't have to be you. Jesus Christ came to sacrifice for you because he loved you so deeply. He wanted to show mercy to your soul. And when, if, if you choose to, to repent and have your life redeemed, you will find, you will have found the mercy of God. And the work of the Spirit allowing you to be able to live worthy as a Christian. And Christian, don't neglect your responsibility and Christian duties to live a life that is worthy because we just don't know how much time we really have. And if this is our last, then what will we do with it? What will be said of you if all of a sudden, man, they're gone? I hope it's what's said about Epaphroditus, what's said about Timothy, what's said about Paul, that these were faithful servants of Jesus Christ. He moves from the man, from the mercy of God, and he moves to the message, and he just wraps it up very nice and neatly, and he says this at the very at the very end he says I am more eager to send him therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again that I may be less anxious so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service he goes to this message and if I could just wrap it up in a nutshell here's what he says he says by sending him to you I'm gonna find much relief He is at home with you, you are caring for his soul, he longs to be with you, even though I miss him, I am so relieved that he is back with you again and now he is being cared for, he is being rejuvenated, he's all of these things, he is relieved, he's even a little less anxious because he knows now they know he's okay. Paul isn't sitting in the prison cell going, yeah, but they don't know he's okay. I know he's okay, but they don't know he's okay. He didn't have to think about that anymore. Like, burden relieved. That's what happened. I was relieved and I'm more eager to send him to you. And by the way, just keep in mind, I don't think Paul wanted to see him go. He was a minister to Paul's individual needs. And so to see him go was a gracious gift of sacrifice on Paul's behalf because he didn't have many people that were doing this for him in prison. And to see him go was a great sacrifice for Paul. No, I want you to go. I imagine maybe there could have been some dialogue like, I'm going to go. But look at you. You're not even, you're ill. No, I need to stay. No, you need to go. I'm sending you. Enough. And now he's back. He says, I'm relieved by it. And now here's what he says to the church. Receive him in the Lord with all joy. Receive him and rejoice. He's home. Because you know what it meant to be an ordinary servant who was doing extraordinary sacrifice is that now he was only back to do it in the presence of the body. He was home again to impact and disciple and care for and be an imitator of Jesus Christ and of Paul to bring to them a letter that would instruct their lives and make them more like Jesus Christ. He says, receive him. It's a command to them. Receive him and rejoice. Love it that he's home. Like, I hope it wouldn't, I don't think what happened when Epaphroditus showed up that day was like, oh, you're back. And I hope that's not the way people think when you're gone. We receive people who are doing ministry and we rejoice. Isn't that not what we pray for for the missionary of the month in the Orlando project? Go, and then when they come back, we receive them, we rejoice. A missionary comes, we receive, we rejoice. That's what we do. That's the pattern he gave to them over Epaphroditus, we have that same thing. He says, I'm relieved, receive him, rejoice, and respect him. You honor people like this. You know, you saw a couple of weeks ago the opportunity that we had to honor the, the pastoral staff, but there are so many people that are serving in ways that we often forget just to stop for a moment and say, thank you. Thank you when I'm dropping off a, uh, a child that is screaming out of control into the nursery workers who have devoted their life's purpose that morning to care for your little child. I I love those people when my children were that little and they were screaming. I'm like thanks for your ministry. (laughs) Be back in a couple hours. (laughs) There are ordinary servants who are sacrificing in extraordinary ways. It is not just people who stand up and, 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 and pulpit in the pulpit and preach the word of God or teach a Sunday school class. There are multiplicity of people in the life of the chapel that are serving silently and no one else knows. You know how I know? Because I'm here and I watch them walking around. They're not trying to sneak around, but they're serving in silence to serve the body. When you see it, rejoice. Honor people. Respect the service and let it compel you to be a person like that. Not for the accolades, not for any other reason that you would live a life that is honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would we do that? Because in Philippians 3, and we'll come to this text, notice what Paul says, brothers join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have, I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. Imitators of Jesus Christ, who are ordinary people, can be extraordinary servants filled with sacrifice if we stay focused on the task of living a life worthy of the gospel. We do it individually, we do it collectively. Why? So that the glory of God can be seen in and amongst us together. That when we see ordinary people doing extraordinary sacrifice, we will honor and rejoice and receive people and multiply. And that the more they live in that kind of body, they will see the love of Jesus Christ on an everyday basis. Christian, brothers, sisters, let's imitate Epaphroditus, who imitated Timothy, who imitated Paul, who imitated the Lord Jesus Christ. Ordinary people doing extraordinary service. It'll only happen, not by accident, but by your willingness to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ and find purpose in him. The more you do that, the more you can get to the point at the end of your life where you can be confident that he will say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. If we do that, I'll tell you what, you will never be disappointed at the end of your life. Keep persevering, keep loving him till the day that he calls you home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For these individuals like Epaphroditus, Lord, they are so special to us. We love the examples that they give and the way in which we ought to emulate their Christian character. But we know it didn't happen because of themselves. It happened because of the Spirit of God who transformed their life by Jesus Christ's willingness to sacrifice his own life. Help us to follow Jesus' model and live that life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.